Well, once again, I would like to uh, welcome you all back. We're right in the middle of a series that we've entitled uh, Christian or Disciple. And let me describe, for those of you who are new today, let me describe briefly what that means, what that looks like. Um, the word Christian uh, was used only three times in the New Testament. And each of those times it was used um, as kind of a derogatory term. Oh, you Christians, you know, that was, it wasn't used uh, by the believers themselves. It wasn't used by Jesus. It wasn't used by the other disciples. Um, the word was just there. Now, the reason uh, it has kind of over the years morphed into different things is because the Bible never defines what it means. The Bible never says this is what a Christian is and, and all of its derivatives, Christianity, Christendom, etc. So uh, we get confused. So over the years, uh, the word Christian has been able to mean whatever you want it to mean, right? You can define it any way you want, and nobody really can argue with you. Some people define it by saying, well, it's somebody that believes in God. Others might say, well, no, it's somebody that believes in Jesus. Others would say, no, a Christian is someone who goes to church, or uh, someone who uh, does, uh, use, uh, goes by the golden rule. Or a Christian is someone who lives in the Western Hemisphere. It can mean any of those things, because you can define it any way you want. But the word that Jesus used to describe his followers was what? Disciple. Now, disciple is a whole different animal. A Christian can be defined any way you want to, because it's not defined in the Bible. But the disciple is defined in the Bible. And it's someone who follows Jesus, someone who says, Jesus, what you say, I will say. What you do, I will do. What you believe, I will believe. I'm a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, a disciple, and to go even uh, dig a little bit deeper into that thought, uh, a disciple would do something like this. So a disciple is deciding about a relationship or deciding about a financial issue or deciding about a political issue or any number of issues in a disciple's life. And the disciple would pray something like this. Uh, now, Jesus, uh, because I'm your follower, I want to think like you think. And I want to act like you act. And I want to uh, say what you say. And so, uh, Jesus, with that in mind, um, uh, what do you think I should do about this relationship? What do you think I should do about my money? How should I invest my money? Uh, what do you think I should do uh, about my children? And as you're even asking those questions, before Jesus gives you the answer to those questions, by the way, the answers are found in here, before Jesus even gives you the answer to those questions, your response to Jesus is this, yes, yes. You ask me to do something, the answer is yes. I may not like it, I may not be comfortable doing it, but I'm a follower of Jesus, and my answer is yes. That's exactly what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do in my relationship. I'm not going to dump my husband. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. My answer is yes. Now, that's a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that's a much more difficult life than just being a Christian, someone who loves God, someone who believes. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus complicated things even more. He said, okay, now if you're a disciple, I want to show you one brand, one mark on your life that represents that you're my disciple. And you're thinking, okay, what is that? Is that baptism? No, baptism's good, but that's not it. Uh, is it taking communion? No, that's good, but that's not it. Is it, um, uh, you know, giving my tithe? No, that's good, but that's not, you know. Is it, what is it if it's not either? And Jesus said, here, by this one thing, 
you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Of all the things you can think of that mark you as a disciple, there's one thing that's higher and has more value than all of the other things that you think you believe or do. Okay, All these things down here are very good. All those things I mentioned are very good. But there's one thing that's above all of those things that matters more than anything else. It's how you love one another. And, Jesus said further, it's how you love the people outside the church. How you love the people that aren't Christ followers. How you love the people that are your enemies. So he said, if you want to be my disciple, there's one mark that I'm looking for, and that mark is this. How do you love each other, and how do you love the world? So Jesus said, I want you to love one another, and your natural question is, how? And Jesus' answer was this, the same way that I loved you. I want you to love others and the world the way I loved you. And so your next question is, okay, how did Jesus love? Now that's where it gets complicated. Because Jesus loved a lot of people, and he loved them a lot of different ways. And it's kind of confusing, and it's kind of exhilarating, and it's kind of amazing, and it's kind of dumbfounding, because Jesus seemed to love some people one way and other people another way, and yet Jesus is telling you and me today that I want you to love the same way that I loved you. So we look at the Gospels. And the place that we'll be in today is John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Um, well, it's also in the bulletin. It'll be up on the screen. But we're going to be looking at John 1, and this time in the service, I usually remind you what? Read your Bibles. <laughs> there is nothing that will change your life more dramatically than that one simple fact. Every day, crack open the book, blow the dust off it, and read a few verses every day. It'll change your life. So Jesus says, okay, now when it comes to this love thing, that's kind of the problem. Because Jesus would say, the way I love creates tension. You say, well, what do you mean, Jesus? Well, the way I love creates tension because sometimes it seems like I love um, with a hammer. <laughs> and other times it's like I love with, you know, a soft glove. But Jesus said, I want you to keep this tension in place. Uh, too many people just say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the side of the hammer. And others say, no, I want, uh, you know, we definitely want the side of the soft glove. But now, Jesus, I want you to live with that tension. So one thing I want to promise you today as we unfold this message from John 1 is I'm not going to answer your questions. I'm not going to tell you which way you should go. I'm going to invite you into this incredible adventure that we call Tension. And I know some of you, I've got to get things solved. I've got to get things understood. Now today, when you leave today, hopefully you'll be very much confused. And you'll do some research and you'll do some thinking and you'll feel that tension. Because all of us want to be on one end of the spectrum or the other, don't we? So I grew up in a church, uh, I grew up in, with a church with a hammer. Okay, uh, obey, do what you're told, obey the Bible or go to hell. You know, just pound, hammer, 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 hammer. Some of you, that was kind of like the, the independent church I was raised in when I was growing up. And there's some churches, and again, this is a generalization, but you know what I mean. Some churches, like some Baptist churches, some Pentecostal churches are kind of that hammer church. You know, it's all that. And then there's other churches and more liberal denominations, United Methodists, United Presbyterian, Catholics, something like that were, no, it's, it's all about grace. It's all about, well, it's okay. Soft, you know, soft hand. And, and what I'm suggesting today, that both of those extremes are wrong. 
that somehow, someway, you've got to find a way to live right in here, right in the middle of that tension. Now, when you open the New Testament, you see how Jesus loved. You're surprised to find out how messy it was, <laughs> how seemingly inconsistent Jesus was. Sometimes it seems like he was even unfair. And if you're honest with yourselves, you'll say, you know what, there are many times I've read, read the New Testament, and I've been kind of confused, okay? A am I supposed to do this, kind of the hammer deal, or am I supposed to do this, the soft touch? W what am I supposed to do? I'm kind of confused. Well, I, I, I think that's good. So I want you to hear this this morning. If you try to remove the tension around how Jesus loved, you're going to give up something very, very, very important. So don't be tempted to do it. Don't be saying, well, okay, I'm going to cite over here because that's the way I was raised. Or no, I'm going to cite over here because that feels better. No, I want you to stay right here in the middle and feel the tension between these two. Let me give you some examples. Last 18 months, the evangelical church, not our denomination, but all evangelical churches, have been uh, struggling to find a way how to talk about and deal with same-sex relationships. Now, on one level, I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a while, but I thought, well, maybe I should wait and let the new guy do it. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not fun. That's not fair. Uh, but you know me. I've always been a, you know, I want to tell you the truth, and I want to do that. So, so here, here's, here's that tension that I live in and that our church lives in. Yes, the Bible's very clear. It has a standard for sexuality that we believe in, that we adhere to. This is God's standard. Don't blame me. Don't blame Hope Covenant Church. This is God's standard that we believe, and it's this. One man, one woman for life in a monogamous relationship. That's God's standard. And in singleness, celibacy. Very clear. It's a Bible standard. Singleness, celibacy, one man, one woman for, for life. So that's the biblical standard. That's what we believe. That's what we teach. That's what we hear to. So that's that, okay? So you got that. That piece. But then there's this other part, and the other part is this. Well, I love Jesus, and I've got this same-sex attraction. And what do we say to them? Do we say, you don't belong here? No, no, no. That's not hope coming to church. We never do that. We say, man, I, I, I hear you. I mean, you know where we stand, and you know what we do, but I, I hear you, and I understand, and I, and I struggle with that with you, and I, and I wonder how we can help minister to you. And, and so what I tell anybody that's asking for help is this. Just ask God, what does it mean for you to take one step closer to Jesus today? Right now, today. Don't worry about tomorrow or a year from now. Today, what does it mean to take one step? And so we love them, and we grace them, and we, and I don't, I don't, I hate to say thems, not them, anyone, because you, your sins are just as real as anything that we've talked about, right? So watch out for the log in your own eye, but this is a good example because the church is kind of struggling. What do we do? Here's what we do. We love them. <laughs> Every one of them. Every person who walks through the doors of this church, this church we love them. There's a, a woman that I see almost every week at the bagel shop. I, I go to work out, and then I immediately go to the bagel shop to take, put the calories back in me that I lost. So, you know, that's a good plan. That's my plan. And so I go to the bagel, and there's this gal that used to come to our church, and, and uh, she loves God, and uh, she's in a same-sex relationship, has been all of her life ever since she was a teenager, and uh, she knows exactly what I believe. I, I've taught her. I've showed her. I've, I've, I've shared the word with her. But here's what she knows, too. She knows that I love her. She knows that I really love her. 
And I don't love her because she's a target or a notch on my belt. I just love her. She's this wonderful woman that God created in his image. And I love her. And she's told me, she said, you know what? I don't, I don't like all the things you teach about this subject. But she said, one thing I will never, ever misunderstand. It's that you love me and that your church loves me. That's attention. And, and you know what? Don't try to move from that tension. Sit there. Be there. Experience that. Don't come over here and say, mm, that's the way I was raised. And how many people have run away from the church for the rest of their lives because of this hammer? On the other hand, well, it doesn't matter how you live. Ever, nope, that's not, that's not that. Stay right here in the middle. Let me give you another example. The whole marriage, divorce, and remarriage thing. You know, preaching on that is like, you know, pulling teeth without Novocaine. It's very hard. It's very painful. But here's the reality. Here's the absolute reality. Naked truth. Half of the people in this church, half of people in Christendom have experienced divorce. Half. In this room right now. Now, I couldn't tell. It may be off a little bit. But the bottom line is the, the, the national standard and the standard of people who go to church is the same. Half of people get married, get divorced. And so here's what we want to say. Like, okay, okay, you don't belong here because you've been divorced. No, no. Are you kidding me? That's the way I was raised. People run away from the church like that. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, get married, divorced 12 times. Well, it does matter right here. Right here. God has a standard. I want to hold that standard. I don't feel like holding that standard, but regardless of what happens to me, I am loved. I'm loved. I'm loved by Dwayne. I'm loved by this church. I'm loved. That's tension. Stay there. Live there. Don't throw this away. Don't throw this away. Live there. And there's another area. Um, every, every time over the years that I've preached on sex, um, it's been a high attendance Sunday. Quite honestly, I don't know what it is with you people. What do you, what do you expect me to say? The fifth gospel, you know, love the one you're with? You know, I'm not going to do that, you know. There's truth. God says sex is for one man, one woman for life. And in that context, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's fantastic, it's wonderful. But if you do anything else, you know, if you throw all the standards out, well, I'll just do whatever I want to do, you're going to be hurt, and you're going to be wounded, and you're going to hurt and wound others. So don't do this. Don't do that. You stay right here in that tension. I've had people tell me after I've preached on sex or something like that, you know, I, I hated it, but I'm going to give a copy of that sermon to my kids. I failed, yeah, but I'm still accepted by God. I make that very clear in my messages. We're all tempted to try and resolve that tension. Here's what I'm asking you today. Don't try and resolve the tension. So, so why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, Peter, Paul, sounds like a, you know, a rock group. Uh, Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John, most of the gospel writers, um, they lived in that tension. They didn't run away from the tension. Um, yeah, you sinned. Your life is broken. Yes, I love you, and you're forgiven. And there seems to be kind of an, almost an inconsistency depending on who you're talking to around this. What do you really believe, guys? You know, Jesus, John, Paul, Peter, what do you guys really believe? So now let's go to the scriptures. So we're looking at John chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 14. John uh, was uh, one of the disciples, the youngest one. And uh, John 
um, was also the last living disciple. Uh, he was on the island of Patmos, which was a, a prison island, um, and it's there he wrote the book of Revelation. But John also wrote the Gospel of John for 2nd and 3rd John. So he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And John would say, listen, I was around this guy for three years. I saw what he did. I saw the way he talked. I saw the way he judged. I saw the way he graced. I saw all of that. I saw all of that. And uh, so John said, I've got some firsthand knowledge of this guy. So please listen to me. And this is what he says in John 1, 14. The Word, that's Jesus, the Logos, the Word became flesh. So this idea of God, of redemption, became flesh. That was Jesus. And Jesus lived for a while among us. In other words, he camped out with us, and now he's moved in with us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ is in you if you're a disciple. So the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We, John and the other disciples, have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Say it with me, grace and truth. There's the tension. There's the words. Now, did it say that sometimes Jesus had some grace and sometimes he had some truth? doesn't say that. What does it say? Full of grace and truth. The, the word full means a full measure, measured to overflowing. So Jesus was not just uh, sometimes wishy-washy and sometimes hard-nosed. No, it's not. He was completely full of grace and completely full of truth. And he said, if you want to love the way I love, you need to live the same way. Completely full of truth, completely full of grace. There's the tension. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're forgiven. Grace says you're okay. Truth says you're broken. Grace says no matter what you do, I love you. Truth says you need to change your behavior because the direction that you're walking, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt somebody else. Truth and grace. Live in that tension. Now, my dad, World War II vet, was a big truth guy, <laughs> especially when it came to, his, came to his kids. Big truth guy. Uh, and so one time, I was out in the backyard. I think I was 12 years old. My older sisters, their twins, were 13. My younger sister, 9. But I was out in the backyard, and I was always trying to find mayhem. I mean, things to do. And uh, so I was making a spear, and I made a spear, and it was cool, and I was, you know, throwing it, and, you know, I, I think I was trying to be Tarzan, but uh, it was uh, really fun, and, and then Judy came back, my, one of the twins, a uh, year older than me, came back and started uh, bothering me, okay? Brothers, sisters, close yours, okay, earmuffs, okay, kids, okay, uh, uh, started bothering me. So um, I, I was throwing the spear, well, I thought I'd scare Judy, and I'd throw it at her feet and stick it in the ground, scare her, make her run away. Well, I missed. I wasn't a very good spear thrower. It went into her calf. She started screaming. Of course, now I'm trying to, um, I, okay, at this moment, truth is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for grace, okay? And uh, so my dad comes out. He assesses the situation. Judy's laying there, bleeding, and I'm over there, and my dad comes out. He looks, and he steps over Judy, right? To, it comes towards me, okay? He should have stopped there and did some grace, right? But he came over, he came after, after truth right away, right? He came after me. But this whole idea that um, uh, somehow, some way, we're supposed to live in this tension of grace and truth. Now, if you grew up in a really good home, a really great home, my bet is that you grew up with both of these, right? right? Now, if you grew up just in a, in a, in a, uh, a truth home, you're probably still mad at your parents. 
and you probably have a bad relationship with your parents. If you grew up in a home that, well, honey, doesn't matter what you do, you know, let me get you, let me get you prophylactics, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. If you grew up in that, well, you know, you're just kind of out there. You're a hippie, you know, in the new, so, so if you grew up right here in this tension, my guess is you grew up in a pretty good home. So John, as he begins to write the gospel, uh, says, listen, I spent three years with Jesus, I watched him navigate different circumstances with the woman at the well, the Pharisees. And John says, I can say this with real conviction. Jesus was full, overflowing with both grace and truth. It wasn't like sometimes he was on the grace path and sometimes he was on the truth. No, it was not. He was full of both. And if you want to love like Jesus loved, you have to be full of both as well. Now, in my life, I've wanted to be one or the other pushed in one direction or the other. I grew up in a church that was always about truth and always pushed in that direction. Uh, you know, yell at people for their sin, uh, uh, criticize them, condemn them for what they're doing, especially the world, because if you criticize the church, they'll get mad at you. And, and everybody looks at the church and says, well, they're all mad at each other. Why should we follow them? So I was always push, push, push towards this truth. And then other churches kind of push, 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 push towards this truth. It doesn't matter how you live. It's okay, whatever. God will forgive you no matter what kind of the cheap grace thing. And, but instead, you, you need to be right here right here. In my life, I always wanted this. Now, I granted, um, you're always kind of looking for one direction or the other. I, usually for me, Dwayne, I want grace, but I, I, I want truth for my wife. You, you don't, don't laugh. You know you're the same way, right? You want lots of grace for yourself, when it comes to your wife, you need to understand the truth of this situation, you know, and, or it's your friends too. You want all grace, but you want to give them truth and say, well, I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. That's, that's just, just what I'm doing. So, you know, I kind of lean towards the total truth when it comes to other people, and I kind of lean towards total grace when it comes to me. I think we're all that way. But, but, but John said, listen, I watched him. He was filled to the brim with both grace and truth. And then we continue reading in our text, uh, verses 15 to 18, and we hear these words. John testifies, John's still talking. John testifies concerning him, concerning Jesus. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So John is talking about Jesus. The guy came after me, but he was before me because he was God, right? And uh, that's Jesus. From, verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, there's the grace part, we have all received one blessing after another. Isn't, isn't that great? I love this Jesus over here, right? Full of grace, full of compassion, full of understanding. He's uh, kind of like your mother. I mean, my dad was truth, my mother was grace. Some of you had that kind of experience. You know, I always preferred my mother. You know, unless I was going fishing, you know, so, you know, this, and so he says, you're filled with that blessing upon blessing, one blessing after another. For the law, here's the truth, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only son who is at the father's side has made him known. So it says, grace and truth and what it, the word there, when it says became, the word is begot. It's like you're giving birth to something. Grace and truth brought together. It gave birth to something. That something was seen in the life of Jesus. Never seen it before. The Old Testament, hammer, 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 hammer. Yeah. Ten commandments. 
Okay, smite all the Ammonites. Kill all the Calebites. You know, just kill them. You know, truth, truth, truth. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Yes, yes. Everything, you know. All, all the, and then we come over to the New Testament. Well, the New Testament's not all grace. The New Testament is what Jesus, which is grace and truth. Full measure of grace, full measure of truth. The law, the Ten Commandments, the sacrifice, the sacrificial, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. The only thing wrong with that is we don't keep it. <laughs> the law was given so that you won't hurt yourself. The law was given so you won't hurt other people. But we disobey it, and most of you say, you know, I can keep seven out of the Ten Commandments, that's close enough. No, 70% is still a failure. It has to be 100%. And Jesus was the only one that did that, and he was the only one that was, what, filled with truth and grace. Not a balance between, but a full measure of, bo of both. Everybody wants to kind of push one way or another. John said, listen, we need to settle into this tension, and it truly is a tension. And he brought everything to bear on each individual and each unique situation, grace and truth. With the Pharisees, with the religious people, because they already thought that they were better than they were, he needed to give them a lot of truth. The people that had no idea about God's love, he needed to give them a lot of grace. So let's look at some Bible examples. Okay, in the New Testament, and I won't take time to read all of these. Most of you know the stories. If you don't, you can look them up. These are very famous stories, but each one of them illustrates this tension that Jesus shared with us between grace and truth. We start with the woman at the well. The woman at the well was a Samaritan woman, which means she was a half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile. It means that she was shunned by all Jews. They kind of lived in their own area, a place called Samaria. They lived in their own area. And she was out at a well getting some water. Now, that was her right because the well was on their property. Okay? Jesus comes along, and he goes off the trail, and he goes over to her. Now, there's several things that are interesting about this. A Jew, a man was not supposed to approach a foreign woman, period. He did that. A Jewish man was never supposed to approach another foreign woman. And a Jewish rabbi was never, never, never supposed to approach. And Jesus was all of those things. And he walked over and he started up this most delightful, grace-filled, beautiful conversation. What are you doing? I'm getting some water. That's cool. Um, so why do you come here so often? Because, because often I need water. And then Jesus said, you know what? I have some water that will satisfy you forever. You don't have to keep coming back to the well. She said, really? And he started telling her about his love for her. And it was just, it was beautiful. And the things are going so well. We're having such a great grace-filled conversation. And then all of a sudden, it's like Jesus turned a page. <laughs> he walked over. He said, now, t tell me about your husband. Oh, well, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, I'm interested because I'm interested in you. Well, um, you know, I... You know, it's just kind of hemmed and hawed. And she said, okay, let me, let me help you out here because I already know, I know your heart. I know, you've had five husbands and the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. Now, even for a Samaritan, that's bad, right? <laughs> Anybody, it's bad, but a, even for a Samaritan. And so Jesus went from this wonderful, grace-filled, living water talk and just held her accountable to that. Now, here's what's interesting. You would think that, okay, now he's going to bore in, dig deep right there, and just get her to get on her knees, repent of her sin, you know, claim that she was wrong. And that's kind of, you kind of expect, you kind of see it. And here's what Jesus said after she finally said, yeah, it's true. It's true. And he sees her broken heart. 
Here's what Jesus says. Now, a woman, I wish I knew her name. Let's call her Mary. Now, Mary, woman of Samaria, Mary, I want you to look into my eyes. Now, that was another weird thing because uh, women were never expected to look in the eyes of a man, especially a Jewish man, especially a a rabbi. Look into my eyes. And then Jesus does something to her that he never does again in the New Testament. It's never seen again, and it's this. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that is anointed to save the world. I can give you this living water. I know your life sucks right now. I know it's awful. And you've made these decisions yourself. We're not blaming anybody else. This is on you. But I want to tell you something. I am the Messiah. And she was so stunned and so blown away by his gracious love that she went and she told everybody. She said, I just met the Messiah. They probably thought, who is this crazy woman? I just met the Messiah. Everything changed. Grace to truth and back to grace. That's what Jesus did. Live in that tension. He didn't just stay in one place or the other. Well, let's, let's look at another story. So uh, Jesus is going on with the disciples. They're feeling good about themselves. Uh, they've got, at this point, 10 disciples, uh, even number. You know, we don't need any more. And, and Jesus says, we're going we're to see that guy over there. His name's Matthew. He's a tax collector. We're going to invite him to join our group. And the disciples said, time out, time out. We need a little, we need a little truth talk. Okay. The guy's an idiot. The guy's a tax collector, which means he's a traitor to all Jews. He's a sinner. Nobody likes him. Uh, If he's part of our group, it's going to ruin our reputation. People are going to look at us and say, look, that church allows those kind of people into their church. Those disciples allow those kind of people into their group. Jesus said, I can see that you're having a problem with this. He said, let me tell you something else we're going to do. We're going to go to Matthew's house and meet with he and his friends. (gasps) We can't do that. I mean, our reputation is at stake. It's not, it, everybody will think we're doing the wrong thing and we're hanging out with sinners and it's everything. And here's what Jesus said. He said, and, and this is so awesome because the, the disciples are all about truth and Jesus is trying to teach them something over here. And he, he says, listen, we're not out to save our reputation. We're out to seek and save the lost. Whatever it takes. We're out to seek and save the lost. If that means going to Matthew's house, we're going to do it. We'll do whatever it takes. So it's not just this, oh, we can't do something, it's a bad rep. rep, rep. No, it's about what are we going to do? Why, why do you think over these years we have, we have invested so much in going to uh, 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 Tumbleweed Park and doing Easter in the park? It, it costs an enormous amount of money, an enormous amount of manpower to do that. And every year we have people that say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus and become part of our church. That's why we do it, because money is secondary to anything else. And Jesus said, listen, you know, this truth thing that you guys are all worked up about? Here, here's what you need to know. We will do anything to seek and save the lost. Oh, that's beautiful. And he says, well, let, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about another situation. How about these, um, these two guys that were on the cross with Jesus? Jesus, as you know, there's three crosses. And uh, tradition has told you that they were thieves, right? If you read the text, you'll find that they weren't thieves they were criminals. Thieves would have put, been put on a boat, uh, a Roman galley, and rowed for the rest of their lives. Thieves would have had their hands cut off. Uh, thieves would have been a slave to some uh, Roman dignitary. 
That's what, but these guys were criminals. These were heavy duty, probably murderers. These guys were the worst guys possible. But don't, so don't kind of, you know, fantasize about, oh, these guys are just kind of, oh, they just made a couple of mistakes and they were being picked on. No, they were criminals. Listen, they deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. So they're on the cross and Jesus has, uh, they're watching Jesus. This guy is nuts. Look at what he's doing. He's forgiving the people down there. Why? And so one of, the, one of the crooks says this. He says, you know what? Um, I, I deserve this. I deserve this. Um, would you, somehow he saw through and saw that Jesus was the Messiah. Would you remember me uh, to the Father in heaven? I, I deserve it. The other guy was very belligerent. And no, no, no. Here's what's interesting. Jesus did not say, well, you know what? Because you've got a good heart, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. No, no. He never said it was okay that they did what they did. He never put a stamp of approval on what they did. They were sinners. They deserved death. They deserved it. But here's what Jesus said to that guy that showed a broken heart. He said, today, you'll be with who? With me in paradise. Truth and grace. There's another and probably the most famous story of all. The woman that was taken in adultery. You know the story. So a woman, this is interesting, why women were supposed to be stoned when they were caught in adultery and not men. That's for another sermon. But uh, this woman was caught. She was thrown into the street. And uh, the law keepers, the Pharisees, the religious people, had... um, uh, they're stones of condemnation. Now, they're not called that, but that's what I call them. They're stones of condemnation. Now, and, and I could also say the stones of righteousness because the Old Testament said you can stone somebody, you can stone a woman who's found in adultery. You can, that's okay. That's, that's what you do. You know, the wages of sin is death. So these, uh, these Pharisees were gathered around this woman. Each one of them had a stone of condemnation. They were just about ready to crush her head, crush her scalp, and do it in the name of God, you know. It's going to be awesome, you know. There'll be blood splattered everywhere. We can say we were self-righteous. We were good people. And Jesus said, okay, the first one of you, he didn't say this, but the first one of you guys that doesn't have any sin in here, throw the first stone. He saw the adultery in every one of their hearts. He saw the brokenness, the sin in every one of their hearts. And it was no different. It might have been a different sin, but it was no different than hers. And then one at a time, they just dropped the rock and they backed away. Jesus kneels down in this most astonishing posture of grace. (laughs) Lifts her head up, looks into her eyes and says, "Where where are your accusers? She said, I don't see any. And this is what Jesus said with grace and love. He said, neither do I condemn you. And you're thinking, oh, what a great story. He said, oh, uh, time out. There's more to the story. (laughs) Okay, he's telling her this. And then what does he say? Go and leave your life of sin. Grace and truth. Not just one. Not one is better than the other. Grace and truth. I'm sure the disciples along the way say, you know, I have a question. (laughs) How do you do this? He said, Jesus would say, listen, if you want to love like me, and this is what I've commanded you to do, love love others, love the world, love your enemies. And okay, how do we love them? You love them like you love me. Well, okay, how do we do that? Well, it's by offering a full measure of grace and a full measure of truth in every situation. Grace and truth. I'm saying, you say, time out. You mean, am I condemned or am I forgiven? Which is it? And Jesus would say, yes, (laughs) absolutely. 
You are condemned and you are forgiven. Live in that. This is how I love, Jesus said, grace and truth. But love people. Love them the way I love you and you will find that. Because yes, we sin and our sin puts us on a pathway towards destruction and death for ourselves and others. So it would be foolish for us as Christ followers to not come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, no, do not go that way. It is not okay. What the Bible says, you are going on a path of destruction. That is truth and you say it and you speak it in love. But at the same time, you say, but I love you, and I'll walk with you on that path. Whatever it takes, I'll walk with you until you get off that path, until you t- turn towards God. I, I'll, I'll never forget, the, one of my favorite movies is a movie probably 15 years ago, a Jim Carrey movie when he used to be able to, well, he could never act, when he used to be really funny uh, 15 years ago, Liar, Liar, remember that movie? Okay, <laughs> so one of you confessed it. You all saw it, don't give me that. Uh, so, yeah, Liar, Liar, and so he was in this place where he couldn't tell a lie. And so he was a lawyer, and a guy called him up from jail and said, listen, I was just busted for something, and, uh, and they've got me in prison, and uh, I need my lawyer. What should I do? And uh, Jim Carrey screamed into the phone, stop breaking the law. That's what you should do. Okay, that's where I like to live. I like to live over here. You know, you know, sometimes you come to my office and say, what should I do? I would say, stop sinning. You know, that, you know, but you know what? It's not just that. It's over here, too. Stop sinning, of course, because you're on a path of destruction and Jesus loves you too much to let you do that. But let me tell you, his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, look at what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, look at what Jesus did. Watch how he lived. He called sin, sin, And then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he said, neither do I condemn you. Let me say that again. He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus loved that way. Full measure of grace. Full measure of truth. And living in that tension. Go and sin no more. But if you fail, I will continue to love you. If you question God, I will continue to love you. If the complexity of your brokenness and heartache is so great that you just don't see how you can get out of this mess you're in, I will still love you. If you're involved in self-destructive behavior, behavior, a spiral of brokenness, I know what that pain is like, I will still love you love you. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are broken. But I don't condemn you. There's tension there. I'm not saying this is an easy fix. You try to resolve it by giving up something really important. That something is this. Do you know why we never give up on truth? Because it'd be easy to say, you know what? The Old Testament is all the law. Throw that out. And some of the things that were said in the New Testament, that's kind of like condemning and judgmental. Let's throw, let's just kind of live over here. You know, kumbaya, everybody's happy. Doesn't matter how you live your life. God loves everybody. Whoop-dee-dee. You know, we're all going to heaven together. Okay, do you know why that you, you cannot give up truth? Because sin always has a gotcha. Always. 
Well, I choose to not follow God's standard of sexual behavior in the Bible. I choose to follow this. There's always a gotcha. Well, I choose not to follow God's standards for the way I do use my money, uh, so I'm going to do it this way. There's always a gotcha. Well, I, I choose to live my wife, life in such a way that people will recognize me and see how nice I am, and even if that means I have to lie and cheat and steal, there's always a gotcha. Don't touch, touch the stove. Don't do drugs. No sex before marriage. Those aren't just words to say to keep your kids out of trouble. Because every one of those statements have to do with kids and us, and it's always the same. There is a gotcha. And Jesus says, I love you too much for a gotcha to get you. I don't want that to happen. That's why truth matters. That's why truth will always matter. Because sin has a gotcha. And why does grace matter? Because I can't breathe without it. Because I can't live another instant without it. Because without grace, I feel condemned all the time. I feel shamed all the time. I feel caught in the spiral of destructive behavior all the time. I need God's grace so much to pick me up out of my brokenness and heal my heart. I need Jesus. The church is at its best, and I believe Hope Covenant Church does this. The church is at its best when it is full of grace and full of truth and never lets it go. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at the way he lived. Grace and truth. So Jesus said, love one another the way I loved you. Well, that's how he loved us. And that's how he wants you to love others. So I want to close with this story. It happened uh, in another church that I was serving. A teenage girl, uh, a junior in high school, got pregnant. And, uh, of course, her parents were upset. And uh, the there's a lot of whispering in the church, of course, and you know, that girl and all of that. And I met with her several times, and she and her parents. And, and she knew what she had done wrong, and she felt badly. And so we tried to help her navigate those waters. Uh, I, I don't, I will never uh, suggest an abortion to someone, but we talked about adoption and some different options. She chose to keep the baby, which was her choice. And we said, well, we're going to be right there with you. She understood the full weight of her sin. She, she knew that. And we're going to be right there. Here's, here's what the church did for her under my leadership. Uh, we had a baby shower for her. <gasps> but the other teenage girls will think it's okay to get pregnant. Don't be stupid. Your other teenage girls are not that stupid. But the church, the people will look at us and they'll say that we think it's okay to get pregnant. No, we don't. No. We love that girl. And we gave her a baby shower. Five years later, five years later, she's still in the church. This is in Denver. And her son is now four and a half years old. And in Sunday school, her little boy gives his heart to Jesus. And I think, grace and truth. Without that grace, that girl would be so mad at the church, she wouldn't have any right to be, but she would. She built, they rejected me. They threw me to the side of the curb. They said I wasn't any good, and I'm never going to the church again. That, that, that thing would not have happened where her son was going to Sunday school, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And that is grace and truth. And don't ever forget there's a tension. And don't ever forget that we're called to live in that tension, grace and truth, full of both. Not just one or the other, but full of both. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we are uh, so blessed to be your children. Every one of us in this building, we know about truth because we feel self-condemned all the time. And we can feel condemned by our own sin, and we rightfully so, and we know that we've sinned and we're broken. But, but here's, here's what we have heard today, Lord, is that we, we can't even breathe without grace. We can't exist for a moment without grace. And so, Father, my prayer for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room today is that they would live in that tension of loving like Jesus loved, full to the brim of truth, and full to the brim of grace. May we always live there for Jesus' sake. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.